Thanks for joining us today at Launch Point Church in Lebanon, Tennessee. We believe the Bible is the written word of God without error and useful for every part of our lives. We believe that through learning and teaching of the word, others might come to know God, find freedom, discover their purpose, and make a difference. All right, so guess what book we're in? All right. You're right. Good job. It's on the board. But we're, we're doing verse by verse, and some places that's gone really fast, and chapter 4 just really has grabbed a hold of me, and it's, it's, it's geared down a little bit. And so just know that that's... I'm going to say this. I hope you understand it. I'm going to explain it to you. That's the legalist in me. I struggle with legalism, just so you know. I think my life would be easier if I had a list of check marks that I could do to make sure God were happy with me. Um, and if we were all going to admit it, we'd probably feel the same way. And so as we've talked about in verses or chapters 1 through 3, Paul talks about the theology of who we are in Christ Jesus. And in fact, that everything we have is because we are in Christ Jesus. That is, he is our foundation, the cornerstone from which all things are built. He is the one who created all things, all things through him, all things for his purpose, for his glory. And so he talks about the theology of that. And then in chapter 4, like he always does, Paul moves from this is the theology and this is your responsibility to your theology, to who you are. And, and it gets, it bears responsibility on our, on our part. There are things, although we are saved by grace, not by works, so that no man can boast. Everybody get an amen for that? I praise God for that. But there are expectations that he has of his people. It's, it's reasonable to assume that he have expectation of us. My kids lived with me. I had expectations of them if I was going to take care of them. My grandson's with me. He has it. I have expectations of what his future is going to look like so that I can take care of him, ensure his safety, make sure that he is everything God created him to be. And so it's okay to have expectations. It's not okay to judge your salvation based on expectation. God doesn't judge our salvation, but we do prove our salvation in our actions because faith without works is dead, right? And so in chapter 4, he, he begins to discuss this, and we've talked through verse 6, where he's talking about unity. And I talked about unity week before last when we met. Um, there was supposed to be this, I, I want to apologize, there was supposed to be some big storm last week, and a tornado allegedly touched down in Dixon, and another one near St. Thomas. And the idea that you guys would be traveling to church in the middle of that storm and potentially get hurt, I just, my heart couldn't bear the idea of it. And so that's why we didn't have church last week. And by the time 8 o'clock or 7 o'clock rolled around, it was super nice outside. So that's on me. Uh, I apologize, but I don't apologize for considering your safety because I love you. But for that reason, we didn't have service last week, and to this week we pick up where we left off. Paul talks about unity. Specifically in 4, 5, and 6, he says, There is one body, one spirit, just as you were called to one hope. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, one Father, God the Father who is over all, through all, and in all. And so all of us should be unified. I am convinced that 90 plus percent of the problems the body of Christ faces because we refuse to be unified with the things we should be unified in. 
We're not unified in our faith. We're not unified in our spirit. We're not unified in our lordship. There's, there's a disunity, and disunity creates friction. Friction creates problems. And if we could just recognize that it's in Christ Jesus all as one, by God, through God, in God, to his glory, I think we'd be a lot better off. Amen? So he moves from unity and starts talking about how the church becomes unified. Because it's not enough to know to, for me to say you should be unified. Paul understood that. So in chapter 4, verse 7, he starts talking about what that looks like. How do we get unified? And he says, I give gifts unto men. Any of you guys ever receive a gift? Like all of us have received a gift. Let me ask you this question. Have you ever received a gift that was the single best gift you can ever remember getting in your whole life? Mine, I was eight years old. My papa got me a green machine. Some of y'all ain't old enough to know what a green machine is. But a green machine's a big stretch, big wheel. And it had arms like this instead of a steering wheel. And if you got it going super fast, you could go like this, and it would spin around in circles. I love that thing. Like if I had one, I would, I would still ride it. I think it's the reason I own motorcycle right now is because I loved that thing. But then we've all received gifts that we didn't like either, right? My same papa that same year gave me a pair of socks. And when we get a gift we don't expect, people say stuff like, and it doesn't make any sense to me, they say, well, it's the thought that counts. Let me tell you, the only people that say it's the thought that counts are the people that didn't think about what they were giving you. <laughs> right? Because I'm pretty easy to read. I can tell you, most of y'all know, if you, you want to impress me with a gift, buy me a book about something. Anyway, I digress. Some, fact of the matter is, some gifts are below expectation. But God didn't give us gifts that are below expectation. He gave gifts unto men. And all of his gifts, like everything that he gives us is good, as defined by his definition of good. Amen? And we become unified as we understand what those gifts are and how to place ourselves firmly within the body of Christ. I'm going to start by saying none of you, zero, nay, not one, were created without a purpose. There's two reasons in my mind the church doesn't function like it should, really three. Lack of adherence to the true word of God disunity, and the people in the body of Christ don't take their place within the body. If you think you were saved just to sit down, I'm telling you that this body is missing a hand because you're not involved. Your body, this body is missing a toe because you're not involved. Sometimes when I talk, you all think, this body is missing a brain. But we're missing when God assigns someone to this ministry, and then we don't do anything in that ministry. And I don't say that to be condemning. I say that because that's what the Bible says. Amen? And I'm going to talk a little bit about that today. But first, let's read the Word. Verse 7. I'm going to, I'm going to manage to get through 11 today. It says, But to each one of us a grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led captive 
a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. Now this expression, this is a parenthetical statement by Paul. He says, now this expression, he ascended. What does it mean except that he also descended into the lower parts of the earth? Now, let me stop there. I'm going to talk about that in just, well, you know what? I'm just going to talk about that in just a second. So also ascended into the far above the heavens so that he might fill all things. And from his position of authority, now being in charge and have filling all things, he gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers, period. And then I'm going to explain why he did all that next week. But right now, I want to talk about gifts to men, that he gave gifts to men. People read this, and they miss the biggest piece of this text. When I read this, the majority of people that have heard teachings on this text focus on the fivefold ministry calling. That is, according to verse 11, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. That is only half of what's being discussed in this text. The fact of the matter is, gifts were given to all men. Not all are prophets. Not all, those are ministerial gifts, but there are gifts of grace that have been bestowed upon all men, according to the Word of God. And this is it. So we skip verse 7. But to each one of us, is Paul talking to a room full of apostles or teachers or pastors? No, he's talking to the church to the Ephesian church, Timothy's church. Timothy was the pastor of, Ephesia, of Ephesus. And so he's telling his beloved son church, listen, every one of you, all of us have been given a gift. All of, but each one of us, grace was giving, given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Everyone has a gift. Repeat after me. I have been gifted. Golly, man, I need the church to grab a hold of that. Because when you recognize your gifting and walk in it, you fulfill the purpose God created you for. When I've said this a thousand times, I am convinced that if God didn't have a work for me to do after the day he saved me, if his intent through my life was only to save me, then he would have let me die when he saved me because I would have fulfilled my ultimate purpose already. But the fact of the matter is, I'm still here. 16 years later, I'm still here. You know why? Because he gave grace according to Christ's gift to all of us. And why did he do it? He did it because he had the authority to do it. Gifts are necessary for the completion of the body. I'm going to read this to you. We're going to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We're going to spend a little time there. First Corinthians chapter 12. I'm going to read 4 through 6. If you've never just read through 12, let me encourage you to do it. Now, there are a variety of gifts. Not just ministerial gifts, not just apostles, prophets, pastors, teachers, there's not evangelists, there's not just those. There are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. They come from the same place. And there are varieties of ministries in the same Lord given by Jesus. There are varieties of effects 
but the same God who works all things in all persons. Did everybody catch that? Every one of us has a gift. That gift is designed for a purpose. Well, what is that purpose? That purpose, according to verse 20 or 12, verse 7, is this. But to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. This is what I've been telling you. The common good isn't served if you don't serve the common. Now, what are those giftings? Those giftings are also listed within the context of 1 Corinthians chapter 12, the majority of them. There's a couple in Romans I, I may, I, I'm probably not going to get to today, but he begins in verse 18, words of wisdom through the Spirit, word of, words of knowledge, faith. Did you know some people have greater faith than other people? Because God measures faith according to however he determines to measure all gifts. Gifts of healing, affecting of miracles, prophecy, distinguishing of spirits. There are people that can look at you and can look at other people and say something's not right about them. We call that discernment. That's a gift of the Spirit. And let me tell you, that's a gift that I need around me. I need all of these things, not just in me, but around me. A great leader understands where he lacks, where he isn't gifted, so that he can surround himself with those who are gifted. And so he says, distinguishing of spirits, various kinds of tongues, and to another the interpretation of those tongues. Verse 28, apostle, prophet, teachers, workers of miracles, gifts of healing, helps, administration, various kinds of tongues. You know what helps is? Helps is first impressions ministry. Ushers, greeters, anybody that helps with the service of the church. The everyday, behind the scenes, people you see every day. Regardless of who you are, you've been called to something. For the sake of the common good. According to verse 25, so that there may be no division in the body but that the members may have the same care for one another. Now you're all, man, you're picking through and kind of cutting through so much of that chapter. It's because I don't have time to cover the whole chapter. I'm just trying to summarize the chapter for you. What I want you to get, the one piece of information I want you to get from this particular chapter in 1 Corinthians is that everyone, for the sake of the common good, so that there might be unity. Remember, Paul just got done talking about unity. You know, one of the reasons that we don't have unity is because we have people that are sitting when we haven't been called to sit. All right. Everybody all right so far? Here's where it gets good. Who gave you gifts? Jesus. Listen to this. In verse 8. It says in verse 7, it says, according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, that, that is that he gave the Spirit to us, and these are spiritual gifts. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led captive a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. Now, this expression, he ascended, what does it mean except that he also had descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is himself also he who ascended far above all the heavens so that he might fill all things. 
Why did Jesus give you gifts? One for the common good. We've talked about all of that. But because Jesus is the only one that had the authority to do it. Do you hear me? You've been given gifts by the only one that has authority to do it. He, he, Paul does a great job very quickly summarizing his authority. Not his authority, Jesus' authority. He ascended. What does that mean? Except that he also descended into the lower parts of the earth. Now that descension, that descending, is twofold. According to Colossians, he descended and took captive powers and principalities and made a public spectacle of them. He destroyed death by his resurrection. So he has the authority to do it. He sits at the right hand of God. It is by his sitting at the right hand of God that he sent the Holy Spirit to us that we might have the Spirit, that we might be gifted anyway. Everybody good so far? Has anybody picked up anything that I've said that seems crazy to you? I'm just trying to lay it out plain. But also, not just that he descended to the depths of the earth. I told you it was twofold. The first piece is that he descended to the earth. Because let me tell you, he couldn't strip powers and principalities. He wouldn't have the name above all other names. He wouldn't be able to send the Spirit if he hadn't accomplished that which he was sent to earth to accomplish on our behalf in the first place. The question is, what was he sent on our behalf to accomplish? Salvation. Jesus died for you. And I don't mean metaphorically. I mean, the king of heaven came down as a man, a child. Had to be taught to speak. Held before he could walk. Drug his holy knees through filthy dirt. Lived a life of perfection. Loved people. Never sinned. And even though he never sinned, y'all feeling the full weight of what Paul's saying here? There's a reason why we should take our gifts seriously because Jesus died to give them to us. Not just our salvation, praise God for that, but beyond our salvation so that others might be saved too. And so he, he did all of these things, lived a perfect life, sinless, because what can be offered as a sacrifice if it has a defect? It can't be. Jesus had to be without defect, which means he had to be sinless in order to pay for the debt of our sin, which is death, so that he could shed perfect blood because it's not but by the shedding of blood that we have remission of sin. All of this is scriptural. I'm not saying anything crazy. If you'd like to see my notes, I'll give you a copy of them. But all of that nailed himself to a cross. You're all... He didn't nail himself to a cross. He sure did. According to God's plan, he did. Long before the foundations of the earth. The, the man, Jesus, fully God, fully man, had the authority to command the kingdom of heaven. And one angel destroyed, my mind's going blank right now, was it 85,000 or 185,000 soldiers? Whatever it is, that's one angel. Imagine having... Dominion over all the angels, a multitude, thousands upon thousands of angels. You think he was there because he didn't want to be there? He was there because he wanted to be there. 
maybe not in his flesh, but he was fully God too. He understood what he was doing so that we might have eternal life. Jesus Christ sacrificed himself, nailed himself to the cross so that he could die, be buried, put in the ground to the depths of the earth, overcome powers and principalities, make a public spectacle of them, according to Colossians, so that he might also ascend to the right hand of the Father and intercede on our behalf. Now, I get past all that intercession. I say that word all the time. But let me tell you what that truly means for those of us that maybe, maybe you understand it, you're just not really understanding it. He's literally sitting next to God saying, this one belongs to me. He's asked, he has a repentant heart. My blood was shed for him. Judgment is no longer due him. Grace is due him. I stand in the gap for him. Not only do I stand in the gap for him, I have placed myself in a position of punishment and absorbed your wrath for him. You told me that if I did that, that you wouldn't have wrath for him anymore. And he belongs to me. That's what Jesus does day in and day out. That's why sinning is such a horrible thing. Because everything that Jesus went through, we're still having to go to the throne room of God. And Jesus is still having to intercede on our behalf. But praise the Lord, He does and will. Amen? That's beautiful, man. So that we might be saved so that we might be gifted. So that we can, through the common good, affect unity in the church. So-and-so ain't doing such-and-such right. It's a unity issue. Are you in your lane where you've been gifted to be? This is the greater of the questions. Paul tells us, Very pointedly, when he ascended on high, he led captive a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. Now this expression, he ascended, what does it mean? And I know I'm repeating myself, but it's beautiful. What does it mean except that he also had descended into the lower parts of the earth, which he wouldn't have been able to do if he hadn't been on the earth, how he who descended is himself also he he who ascended, far above the heavens, so that he might fill all things, so that he might have authority over all things, so that his name may be above all names. Amen? And. This is the piece we focus on, but this is the and. It's not the only. And. He gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, some as pastors and teachers. What does that mean? That means there are people, every person in the church has something. And then God has given ministerial gifts above the grace gifts, not above the grace gifts in regard to hierarchy, but in addition to the grace gifts called ministerial gifts for a purpose, which we're going to talk about. But just so you know, it's for the purpose of equipping and maturing the believers so that we might be full in Christ Jesus. Amen? So he, and then he names these offices. 
most, not most, a large number of denominational theologies will tell you that these five ministerial gifts don't exist anymore. Certainly not the first two, apostles and prophets. It's not true. They make this argument based largely back to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. In verse 8, it reads this. I'm, just, I'm going to tell you their argument, and then I'm going to tell you why I use this argument, these verses, to show that that's not true. It says, after it says, love never fails, if it is in fact defined as above, but if there are gifts of prophecy, they will be done away. At some point, Paul's saying, listen, at some point, the gift of prophecy, the prophet is going to be done away. If there are tongues, they will cease. There'll be a time when there'll be no more tongues. If there is knowledge, it will be done away with. That is, gifts of knowledge. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will be done away with. When I was a child, I used to speak like a child, think like a child, reason like a child. When I became a man, I did away with childish things. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face, now I know in part, but then I will know fully as I also have been fully known. Here's the argument they make when the perfect comes. The argument that they make is the perfect is the perfect word of God. So when the perfect word of God comes, there'll be no need for prophecy because we'll have the word of God. There will be no need for apostolic ministry because we'll have the word of God. Let me tell you, don't listen to me clearly. The word of God is perfect, but it can't be talking about the word of God. Perfect in this text isn't the word of God because even though the word of God itself is perfect, we don't interpret it perfectly. We don't understand it perfectly, so we still need the apostolic, the prophetic, the pastor, those people to explain to us what the word of God means and to lead us properly. That perfect is Jesus. Because it says this in verse 12, for now we see in a mirror dimly, any of y'all ever feel like that? Even when you're reading the perfect word of God? Then face to face. Face to face. When I'm looking at the word, I'm not looking at anybody face to face. The, the perfect is Jesus. Now I know in part, but then I will know fully as I was also known fully. Because according to the word of God, when we're in the presence of the perfect, then we shall be perfect. Everybody okay? Why do I tell you that? Because it can't be the canonized Word of God that Paul is talking about. Because we don't interpret the Word of God properly. We still need the apostolic and the prophetic ministries to understand the Word of God as we should. Amen? Man, I wish people could just get a hold of that. Now, why would Paul write these gifts for them to be canonized because surely the Spirit knew that they would be canonized. Second Corinthians, uh, or Second Corinthians, Second Timothy three sixteen says that the Spirit breathed the Word of God. 
And the Spirit isn't bound by time, so the Spirit would have known the Bible was going to be canonized, that generation upon generation upon a generation would read it. And if he was convinced that generation upon generation upon generation would read it, why would he tell him to write something down that just a couple hundred years later wouldn't be necessary? Just from an intellectual standpoint, a reasonableness standpoint, that doesn't make sense. So anyway, I digress. I want you to know that these offices still exist. So let's talk about what they are. Apostles. I'm going to make this as simple as I can because it's not really the, the point I'm trying to make today. Apostles. They govern by ensuring that the foundations remain secure. I'm going to give you phrases with each one of these. Apostles live with leaders. This church sits under apostolic leadership in that we sit under my pastor and the board of overseers. These are apostolic ministers that oversee our ministry to make sure that we're doing what we should be doing, that I'm not shifting the foundations of the Word of God in a way that is wrong. There are prophets who live with God. They reveal God's heart to his people. I have in this very room heard people prophesy. Now, it may not be exactly what's written in the word of God, but it will never be contradictory to the word of God. But sometimes the prophet needs to step forward and says, listen, this is what God is saying to this group of people right now. Pastor Leonard's come to this microphone picked it up and says, this is what the Lord is saying to our church. Those prophetic voices are necessary. It's a real, in real time, manifestation of the Spirit of God in our presence. Evangelists live with the lost. They have a heart beyond everything else to see the lost come to the Lord. Now, all of us should have such a thing, but there are those who are specifically gifted to be evangelists. And they do that by preaching the gospel message. Then pastors live with the people. It's my job to live with the people and to equip the people for what they've been called to. That means I, I tend to you. I love you. I take care of you. I try to... If you're sick, I reach out to you. If you need something, I try to be there for you. I try desperately to do that for you. I, I pray over you, I, and I'm not tooting my own horn, but this is what a shepherd does. A shepherd, well, really an under-shepherd, because I'm an under-shepherd to Christ Jesus. An under-shepherd does what the shepherd does, lays in the gate with his staff and dares anything that was willing to come against its flock to try. Amen? And then finally, teachers live with the Word. They ground the people in the establishment of the truth. So I'm going to go over all five of these again. Apostles live with leaders. Prophets live with God. Evangelists live with the lost. Pastors live with the people. And teachers live with the Word. Now I'm not telling you if you're a pastor you can't be a teacher. I like to think that I... 
I expose you to the word in a way that is honoring to God and edifying to you. But it doesn't mean that a teacher can't also be a prophet. Because the same guy that I've seen up here prophesy, I know has a ministerial gifting to the office of evangelist. If Pastor Leonard didn't get to spend his days doing anything else, it would be finding people that don't know Jesus and making sure they know Jesus. Am I right? What is my job as the pastor? To make sure that he has room to do what he's been called to do. To make sure the apostle has room to do what he has to do, to make sure the teacher has room to do what he has to do. Because my job is to take care of the flock and the flock can't be tended to if they're not exposed to the full gambit of ministry available to them. But also to expose the people to the ministerial grace gifts, the, the gifts of healing, the gifts of tongues, the gifts of interpretation, the gifts of helps. The gifts of giving, all of these things are also giftings that are, we are responsible to ensure exist within the local body so that the church is healthy for the sake of the common good. Everybody all right? I get excited about this because it means God has something for me to do. You should be excited because it means God has something for you to do too. Now, here's the problem. The problem is too many people sit around because they don't know what they're called to. One of the biggest things I hear all the time is, Pastor, I don't know what I'm called to. Let me help you. Let me give you a few things. Insights, if you will. Frustrations, if you will. I want to tell you four or five things. I want you to write them down if you don't know what your calling is. Some words of advice. First, don't ask God what he's called you to without saying yes first. No matter what he tells you to do, put your yes on the table first. Do you understand what I'm saying? God, before you tell me what it is, I'll do whatever you tell me to. Because I've heard a lot of people say, God, tell me what you want me to do. Oh, I'm not going to do that. That sounds crazy. You need to make your yes your yes and declare it beforehand. Let me show you why that's important. Isaiah chapter 6. Many of us know that Isaiah chapter 6 is where Isaiah actually receives his calling. In verse 8 it says, Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, that's Isaiah, Here I am, send me. He didn't tell him what he needed him to do. He just said, i got to send somebody. I'm telling you, we got to send somebody. Are you willing to say yes? He said, yeah, here I am, send me. And then, in 9 through 11, he tells him what he's supposed to do. All right, cool. Go. Tell this people. Keep on listening, do not, but do not perceive. Keep on looking, but do not understand. Render the hearts of this people insensitive. Their ears are dull and their eyes dim. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, return and be healed. Then I said, how long, Lord? And he answered, until cities are devastated and without habitation. He continues on, essentially, until I tell you to stop. 
You're waiting for God to tell you what to do, but you're only willing to do this, this, and this. You say yes first, open all the doors, and let God figure out which one He wants you to go through. Amen? Secondly, no, submit to your authority. That sounds like a plug. Do what I tell you. That's not what I mean. The authority of the Word of God. Submit to the fact that all of us are called to something and submit to it. Submit to the Spirit of God. Ask the Spirit of God to reveal to you what you want. And then, after you've submitted to the Word, after you've submitted to the Spirit, then submit to your pastoral authority. You know why I got to submit to you? Because the Bible says so, and I think it's important. You should. Let me tell you what I did. When I, when I believed I was called to be a pastor, I didn't be all, all right, going to start church and then walk off. You know what I did? I consulted the Word of God. I prayed about it. felt confirmed in my spirit, and then I went and talked to Pastor Rick. You know why? Because somebody has to test that calling. Your heart is wicked. And only through wise counsel sometimes can you figure out whether or not you're wicked or called. Authority is easy to assume. It's horrible to maintain. You should let them test you and then listen to them. There are people that I've tested that have said, I've called to this. Well, let's test that. Three months later, they're gone because I wasn't moving fast enough for them. You know what that tells me? You were never called to that in the first place. Because if you can't stay under something, God's never going to place you over something. Amen? Thirdly, I would tell you acknowledge who you are. And I don't mean heavy like you're a sinner, blah, blah, blah. I mean acknowledge your natural proclivities, your natural tendencies. If you're gregarious, God probably created you to do something. Gregarious means happy, excitable, very engaging. If you're that, God may have created you to interact with people. If you're an introvert, like you're diehard, I talk to anybody, I get freaked out, God may not have called you to be a teacher. Listen to your proclivities. Next, I would tell you, and finally... I would tell you, serve somewhere. Get in the boat, start rowing. It's not until you get the oar in your hand that you realize this oar doesn't fit my hand. Does that make sense? When I first got saved, I, within my wife will tell you, within a week or less, I knew I was called to be a pastor. I don't know how, because I didn't know nothing. I still know very little. In fact, but I knew I was called to be a pastor. You know what I didn't feel called to? Working in a parking lot in the rain and in the heat and in the snow. But you know what I did? I worked in a parking lot because until I could get my hand around that oar, I wasn't sure if that oar fit my hand or not. And this is an incredible thing. As I'm working there, people will see giftings in you. And we'll confirm those giftings in you and say, hey, have you ever thought about this? Many of you have 
never heard um, Trent teach. Some of you have because he's taught on Wednesday night. Trent has served this congregational fa- congregation faithfully as an usher lead for seven years. But I sense that God has placed a teaching ability in Trent. And we're developing that. But you know how I came to that conclusion? Watching him have an oar in his hand. And Trent didn't come up to me and say, I feel like I should teach. But when I asked him about it, he said, I do feel like I'm supposed to do that. It's another reason to submit to your authorities. Because your authorities, the people around you, will see something in you as you're rowing the boat. Just row the boat. So say yes. Submit to your authority. Whatever the other one was. And row the boat. What was that? Acknowledge your tendencies. Amen? And let me tell you, this is what I want to do for you. I want to help. If you don't know what your calling is, if you've been struggling with this, if you're, if you're asking yourself over and over, God, what is it I'm supposed to be called to do? Come talk to me. We'll have a cup of coffee together. You may not like the answer I give you. I may tell you like I told the guy. I think I told you all a couple weeks ago. I told him to keep the toilet clean for six months. Because while he's rowing that boat, I test the faithfulness for him to row some other boat. But I may say something like, hey, Maybe you'd be an usher for a little while because I want to see how you interact, how you react in the culture, how you submit to authority, how you do the things that you do, your faithfulness. All these things should be tested. And God reveals himself and his calling to you. Amen? My hope is that this church, there, I dream of a time where everybody has something to do in the church. I'd love to have so many ushers, we have to have two shifts. One even weeks, one odd weeks. I dream of a time where Pastor Leonard doesn't have to worry about whether or not he's going to have enough people to pray for me during service on Sunday. And just plug, if you're at all interested in praying, which you should be because you're a Christian, you need to talk to Pastor Leonard. All three services, he has a team of people that sit on the other side of that wall and pray over the success and the spirit of this service. My point is, there's a place for everybody to serve. Serve somewhere till you figure out what it is and let us help you figure that out. Amen? Amen. Pastor Leonard, would you pray for us?